Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. everybody and welcome to this week's squiggly careers podcast i am helen and i'm joined by my co-host sarah hi everyone and it's a particularly warm day today some of you may not know that sarah and i don't always record together we record at the same time but in different places and um, so i'm sat in a rather warm study at the moment <laughs> i'm um, in a really like dark it's really depressing so this is we're recording <laughs> this right in the middle of a heat wave and i'm in a really dark room with all the shutters closed but to make me feel summery this is one of the uh, gin and tonic episodes, so just oh, to warn everybody. I didn't know that. I've also got an empty glass of wine next to me. I'm glad oh, you're fitting this. You've got an empty glass of wine. Yeah, Quite, I know. You know. Who knows we, what's going to happen? We did have a bit of a pre-podcast chat, so yeah. But um, moving on from wine and hot rooms with windows we can't open because it'd be too noisy for this podcast, this is episode 91 of the Squiggly Careers podcast. Woo-hoo. And since our last podcast, we have also announced our celebrations for episode 100. So we are doing a live podcast recording on September the 9th it's in London I'm sorry everybody the world doesn't revolve around London but that is where we're doing the podcast recording we've got some brilliant guests Pip Jameson Dan Marie Serta Simon Bilcliffe and our tickets sold out within nine hours <laughs> so um, which we weren't quite ready for we weren't there quite ready for tickets, to be fair rather we weren't quite ready for so um the people that I've got tickets we're really happy we can't wait to meet you all which would be brilliant obviously most people haven't got tickets because it's not the biggest theatre in the world but we are recording that podcast so you'll all get to hear about it and if we're not too scarred by the whole experience we are already exploring the potential of doing future um live podcast recording so um yeah, and we should try and do us. one outside of london at some we point. should definitely so if anyone messaged. is listening to this and based in another city um, another um, city other than london who knew yeah uh we'd be very up for it we probably just don't know as many people yes. or as many spaces so if you've got ideas get in touch with us we'd be really happy to hear them we're getting a few messages about Manchester, Sarah, on, Ooh, our, yeah. on Instagram. Ooh, so we like Manchester. I don't know. Okay. I know. Home at Manchester is my favourite place there. Anyway, uh, before we get on to the topic for this week, which is all around becoming a manager for the first time and how you kind of make that transition into management, we've got lots of different top tips for you that we're going to share. Before we get into that, we did just want to um, say a big shout out to a lovely lady who emailed us this week with a really 
personal lovely email uh, that made Sarah and I both super super happy her name is Akshata Taggers and she emailed us about she's a veterinarian from Australia and she was working in London and just sort of discovered our podcast and she was going through a couple of interviews and moving back to Australia and lots of change and she basically just sent us the most lovely email about how the podcast helped her with interviews and how she's in a job now that's really interesting and stimulating and um, she was basically just saying thank you so we just wanted to say a big thank you back to Akshata because it was it really touched us and we love hearing from people who have put the podcast or any training if you've been on course with us into action it's something that Sarah and I are so passionate about that people take the insights and the tools that we give them and put them into action so if we've helped you please let us know you can drop us an email just to get in touch at amazingif.com we really care about it we read all of them your suggestions for podcasts they go into our spreadsheet and then we tackle them like one by one as much as we can or they turn into a career tip on instagram stories but yeah do get in touch with us we really care and we love to know that it's helping you so in the context of squiggly careers then, because we always try to relate all the, all the topics back to the squiggly career and the fact that work's changing and more fluid, what's your perspective, Sarah, on why this week's topic about managing for the first time is relevant? Well, I think what's interesting is if you're becoming a leader for the first time now, it's quite different to if you were becoming a leader for the first time even five or ten years ago. So in quite a short space of time, I think we're seeing quite a few changes in leadership. And I was actually reading today a really interesting article in the July-August edition of Harvard Business Review. Oh, I have that downstairs. Yeah, it's, it's, a it's, a really, it's a really good article. Plus, I then discovered that it's all available for free on the website. And I was thinking... Oh, Only when you're... A, oh, what, the article? The article uh, yeah. is, yeah. Oh. Um, which is called... Uh, it's all about nimble leadership. And we'll make sure that the link is in our usual resources. But the summary is that they're talking about the days of command and control leadership. So very kind of hierarchical tell people what to do and people just go off and be minions and do it are definitely changing that's kind of gone but actually most organizations haven't quite worked out what they're going to replace that with and actually the article is a case study of two organizations who have adapted and evolved really well because their observation is if you're starting from scratch it's almost easier you know because you can kind of design with the present in mind but most organizations are not most organizations have got legacy systems or different ways of doing things and they're all trying to work out what does the future look like in terms of their leaders? And they actually talk about that they think there's three skills that are going to be particularly important now for all leaders, which I thought was just worth mentioning kind of briefly before we get into some of our experiences of leading for the first time and our top tips. And those three skills are coaching, connections and communication. And coaching, helpfully, we do have a podcast episode on, so that's episode 84. And communication we do as well, so communication is episode 54. But connections was the one that I found interesting. And what they're actually talking about is your ability to almost have that wider view to be able to make, I think they call it even something like creative connections hmm. about which team should work together and spotting opportunities, I suppose, to bring things together where there might be value that other people can't see because they're working on their specific project. And actually, I was thinking about some of the best leaders I've worked for, or sometimes when I think I'm at my best. And often it is your ability to do that. It's because you're often dipping in and out of like lots of different things, multiple things, you can then see, oh, well, actually, this project could segue into that, or that person could help this person. And so what I think is interesting about leading for the first time now is that there's probably less role models or less relevant things that you can look at from the past to go oh okay so this is how it's always been done so I can learn from the best That's a and, really good point and, and do my own version I think it's probably simultaneously more exciting 
because I think it's a more interesting challenge. I think it's one with more freedom where you'll get more fulfillment personally and also help people to succeed and find more fulfillment within your teams, but probably also a bit harder. You know, most people going into leading for the first time will be in those organisations who are shifting, who are making those changes and they probably haven't figured it out either. Mm. Um, So hopefully what we're going to talk about a bit today is A, our experiences of leading for the first time and they're interestingly Mm. a little bit different. Um, The first mistake that we made, or well, I don't know if it was the first mistake, but just what we know we got wrong in (laughs) hindsight. We'll try not to dwell on that too much. And then we've done about 10, I think we did get to 10 top tips And we're going to do them quite quickly. So just top tips. If you're leading for the first time, things to think about, things to bear in mind. So Helen, when you were leading for the first time, was it, do you like distinctly remember that moment? What was happening? And in hindsight, what would you have done differently? Yeah, I do remember actually. So the first time that I was a manager, I felt like for me, it was like this really pivotal thing because I really wanted to be like a people manager and I'd manage teams and manage projects but that had always been like pseudo management I wanted to help somebody with their career and their work and I got that opportunity when I went to Eon which oh, I can't even remember how many years ago that is it's quite a few years ago now and I was managing the first job I went into is this like performance improvement type role which I do you know what? I'd taken the role primarily because I wanted to become a manager and my desire to become a manager was more important than me actually thinking is process improvement really suitable for me given that I don't love processes probably not but I did move from it for quite quickly into an innovation role but I remember the team it was an all-male team And I was probably the keenest manager that they probably had ever had and slash still have ever had because this is like my moment of like, oh. I can't work out whether we would both be brilliant to work for or really annoying because we would just be so into this stuff. I I think maybe I've got a little bit more nuanced in in my approach in that I don't try to improve everybody, grow everybody. But I do remember I'd done a lot of research. I've read a lot of books about how to be a good manager. And I've got all these different <laughs> tools that I basically wanted to apply to people. <laughs> like to having people. guinea pigs, like in a and lab. I, <laughs> yeah, and I don't know how it went down. I'm, um, yeah, they were all really positive. And I did lots of like teamwork sessions. And <laughs> I basically threw everything I had at them. I didn't have a lot, to be fair. But I had a lot of enthusiasm for it. But yeah, that was my first time. And then... I have every role since I've been a manager. I think, yeah, I'm just kind of backtracking on my career. Since that point, I've always managed teams and the largest team, probably about 35, 40 people and the smallest team, probably that one actually, about three people. But it hasn't actually been that as I've got more senior, my teams have automatically got bigger. In some of my roles, I've been had a relatively senior role. You know, it's all... All relative, isn't it? But actually, my teams have been quite small. Um, So it's not, I wouldn't say I've said, oh, every time I've got more senior, I've had a bigger team. It hasn't always been like that. The team sizes have changed quite a lot. But yeah, I've been a manager since then. And my my biggest mistake, oh, there's been lots and lots of different mistakes that I've made. Probably one very early on, I think, was that I always looked to myself so if someone was unhappy in their role or maybe they weren't getting great feedback I always I was like oh what can I do differently how can I make this situation better and it wasn't until I got a coach when they basically said Helen it's not always all about you like there's something else (laughs) going on with that person you don't you can only adapt and change yourself so many ways before you have to kind of just stop and kind of accept it how it is so I think quite a lot of the time I tried to change myself a lot to help other people 
And then I think another mistake that I've probably made as a manager, and it's taken me quite a while to get past it, is for a long time, I think I was too nice because I cared so much about people and helping them to be their best. I think I was a bit too nice, particularly when giving them feedback. And I might waffle around the feedback or I might soften it so much that my messages weren't clear. And a couple of years ago, I heard this statement that stuck with me about um, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. And actually... Oh, that's good. It's, and it really resonated. And that sometimes saying less, but being clear and being direct, you know, you don't have to be rude, but being really direct and then just letting the other person talk and not just because you feel awkward about it filling it with stuff that actually is a bit unclear mm. and so it's those a bit like that what's that radical candor saying is yeah. it care personally challenge constructively challenge directly oh, challenge directly in that, that axis um, yeah that's why i think it takes a bit of practice doesn't it because you don't want to f- lose the fact that you still care but you yeah. realize that you have still got to be clear and that some of those messages people are not going to enjoy hearing but that doesn't mean you don't yeah. care yeah it's, it's, a, hard, it's in... a hard balance it is, and the box in that model, that radical kind of model that I was falling into for like a long time, is this ruinously empathetic th- box, which mm. is like she has this quadrants on the, on the on the model, and it's where you care personally, but you don't challenge directly, and that for me was the equivalent of my unclear is unkind that I was doing, and I thought I was being kind and helpful and nice, but actually it wasn't until I just got more direct and more specific that I realised it was much more helpful to people. What yeah. about you? Did you have the same, oh, moment of being a manager? <laughs> no, do you know what? I didn't. Um, like you, I definitely had the perception that people working for you mattered. Yeah. Um, and actually, I was talking to somebody yesterday about how you sort of define leadership. And one of the kind of models that I was testing out was the idea that leadership will become, if it's not already, actually how many people you influence and impact inside and outside your organisation lovely that's, definition that's, thanks that's my new working definition that I'm like starting to try out on people and I like it. very intentionally in there is not it's how many people who work for you and actually yeah. I've done some jobs where you've had less people working for you but your ability to influence kind of across an organization has been really critical to your success and often they're harder mm. I you know almost when people report into you sometimes that, that I think can be easier But yeah, I didn't have that pivotal moment. For me, it actually happened more organically. I think I was in Barclays and had some roles where people did start to work for me, but I'd also progressed quite organically. So it never felt like, oh, I've suddenly got this thing. I think it was on my mind, but probably then I moved Mm. to Sainsbury's, started to have, again, smaller teams and, you know, some bigger teams, a bit like you. I sort of did have one, one role where I had sort of more like 30, 35 people. And I remember being quite conscious of that, of suddenly thinking, oh, actually... I can't spend time with everybody here in the same way that I could have done in some of those previous roles. Um, So that did change over time, but I didn't have that kind of very clear moment where I suddenly went, oh, I'm a leader now. I think it was was Mm. more kind of natural. And when I was thinking about, particularly, I think when I first, when I was in more senior roles, which would have been some sort of management or leadership roles, I think I was still quite respectful and too respectful of the command and control model. Mm -hmm. So... I was trying to even remember an example of disagreeing with someone that I worked for in like the first three or four years of doing leadership roles or what I would classify as leadership roles. I couldn't think of one. Ah. I don't think I did. And so there would have definitely been times where people in my team or collectively, we would have disagreed with what my, the person I reported to thought. 
and I didn't have the confidence or the bravery to disagree. And that's all to do with me having a confidence gremlin around conflict and thinking I couldn't possibly disagree and probably a bit too much respect for thinking, oh, well, that person's more senior. And I think my equation was that person's more senior, so they're more right. And some of those people also, I would say, probably didn't even think like that, but I think I was thinking like that, so it was probably limiting me. And so I did spend a bit of my career probably being a bit of a, what I would call like a, a yes man slash woman because the phrase is like a yes man but like I was definitely a yes woman I could always be relied on I was probably doing a good job I was doing a good job my team I definitely cared there was a point where actually I had um worked for somebody different so I was in a new job I was working for someone different and almost because she was so challenging it actually gave me no choice and it was sort of the best thing that ever happened to me I had to do it to like survive I had to have an opinion I had to have a perspective I was in a team with lots of strong opinions and perspectives. So it was a bit like that, you know, that you sort of got to dive into the deep end, yeah. survive or thrive. <laughs> and I find it really, I remember finding it really hard, but I also, when I reflect now, I think that job and every job I've done since, I've been way better at them in terms of from a kind of mm. leadership perspective. So, yeah, I think I, I sort of took the command and control thing a bit to heart. <laughs> but I was just reflecting when you were talking then, because I was thinking, you know, we talked about managing the first time, but I almost feel like... Every time I have managed, it has felt a bit like there's been something. It's yeah. the first time about it. It's the first time I've had people older than me working for me. It's the first time I've done it in that organisation. It's the first time yeah. I've done it and I've never known that industry. There's always felt a bit like, oh, it's the first time it's a team of that size. And I also think, you know what, you worry so much about, I really want to be a good manager because hopefully you care about being a manager. But just because somebody's been a manager for quite a long time doesn't mean they're a good manager. So it doesn't just because it's not their first time doesn't mean they're brilliant. And I think mm. don't don't make assumptions would be kind of, I mean, we've got to get onto tips, but just a bit of advice on reflection as we're talking. <gasps> You're adding in an extra I know, tip. yeah, tip 11. We have got 10 to go, everybody. Uh, but my, I guess my maybe my secret little tip zero, if we start there, is don't make assumptions in your mind that just because it's your first time you're not going to be great at this and you've got to learn loads because actually some people have been managing for a very long time and they treat it more like a role and less like a real responsibility that they care about and that doesn't make them a great manager. So everybody can be a great manager no matter whether it's your first time or your 10th time if you really care about it. And if you apply the 10 tips that we are yeah, going to go through now right you. now. <laughs> Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. 
Okay, so tip number one, um, why should anyone be led by you? Genuine question. I thought you were um, asking me. <laughs> no, not. It's kind of, is it rhetorical? I'm sort of going, ask yourself that. <laughs> so that is stolen very directly from Rob Joffe at London Business School, who wrote a book with that title. But I do think it's really important when you're becoming a leader for the first time and every other time to be clear about what do you want people to say about you as a leader? In your role as a leader, as a manager, and we're using the terms interchangeably today, but you know, you'll be thinking, I now feel like I'm in that kind of a role. What do you want people in your organisation, outside of your organisation, when people go home at night and chat to their friends and their partners about you? Mm-hmm. What do you want them to be saying? Because I can guarantee there will be. If you think what you do now, you will be going home and chatting about who you work for because they have such a big impact on your role. I think we've seen a study before, we probably mentioned it before, where 70% of people's engagement at work is impacted by the person they work for. And I sort of go, if that doesn't make you take leadership seriously, I sort of don't know what will, because you just think, crikey, I have... It's a real accountability and responsibility when you get into those roles. So just ask yourself that question. And it's not to doubt yourself or to kind of go, oh, why why should anyone be led by me? I don't know, really. (laughs) Because there'll be some really good reasons. Think about your strengths. Think about what you're really good at. Every leader brings something different. But just sort of know what you're trying to build a reputation for I mean I was thinking about this and the different leaders I've worked for they're all really good at really different things it's not like I go oh every time they're the same and actually that's what Rob says in his research he's been all around the world and there's not a blueprint there is no oh well if you do these 10 things well apart from obviously our 10 today (laughs) but if you do these 10 things this this is what you need to do and I remember being quite disappointed by that because I think well you know crikey if you give me a list I'll work my way through that list But it's not. It's because everyone has to sort of bring themselves. And his phrase, which I think is so powerful, is the best leaders need to be yourself more with skill. So it's being authentic, but it's being the best version of you. And it's being kind of skillful around it. And we'll link to some articles and books around his stuff. But that's where I would start. Think about that and think about your answer to that question. That's one. Number two, and we've just referred to this briefly, but there's no such thing as perfect be really careful, particularly as a first-time leader or a first-time manager, that you're not setting yourself up to achieve some sort of perfection. It's an Mm -hmm. impossible task, one that you'll never win. Actually, the thing that I would advise if you're leading for the first time and you're going into that first role, and somebody told me to do this previously and I found it really useful, is every day for the first like month when you're going into that new job, write down one success you've had that day. And it will just remind you of all the progress that you're making. Because often I think the first month, the first three months can feel quite overwhelming. You're trying to do a brilliant job. You're trying to take in lots of information. People are trying to get to know you. But just remind yourself that you are always making progress and moving forward. But it's not in pursuit of perfection. It's just in pursuit of being that bit better the next day. Number three, a bit of a classic tip, I think. But start with the why. So this is Simon Sinek's TED video. And actually, I watched this again this week because we were using it for a training session. And the TED video now often gets called Start With The Why. But really, it's about how leaders inspire action. That's actually the subtitle on the TED Talk. And because it's, um, it was almost one of the original TED Talks, it's really yes. lo-fi. <laughs> so it's not as slick. It's not as like well-filmed. It's one of the few with a flip chart as well. Yeah, he's got a flip chart. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's like it's really sweet. It's kind of quite old school but it is so powerful and I don't think it's lost any of its resonance. And I think starting with the why, the thing he's encouraging you to do as a leader is make sure that you and your team have got a really good collective view of why do you exist? Like, what are you there to do? What is your role within 
the organisation. I think I've seen this done really well only once, actually, in the whole of my career, where someone I was working for, for a whole division, made it really clear what the kind of role of that division was, why we existed, what we were there to do. And everyone knew it, and then everyone kind of understood that they had their part to play in kind of doing that thing. And then it's really uh, motivating because it's kind of about the whole being being bigger than the sum of the parts. And often I think you you think you might know, but you sometimes forget to make sure that everyone agrees or that everyone mm-hmm. has that same vision. And there's another good book that's called Will It Make the Boat Go Faster? And that's all about a rowing team where they'd got a really clear objective, which I can't remember whether it was to win Olympic gold or just to win an Olympic medal. I think it might have just been to, they wanted to get into kind of the medals and they were they're aiming for the Olympics. And everything that they did as a crew, because rowing is all about teamwork, was all about asking that question every time. Is it going to make the boat go faster? If it wasn't, we're not going to do it. If it will, we should all do it. We'll all commit to it. And so that's just a good out-of-business world example, but written actually in a very kind of business-friendly way, very much kind of applicable to teams, creating clear visions for teams. And I think it's just good to make sure that everyone knows that because you'd be surprised how often people don't. And like I say, I've only actually ever seen it done once really well. And number four, which connects nicely, I think, to number three, is involvement. Just because you're the leader, you don't need to do all of this yourself. I think actually probably the worst Hmm. thing that you can do, and I reckon I've done this before, is to go off and to work out that why by yourself and then just impose it on the team because you've not involved people, you've not asked people, you've not engaged them. And actually your team will have an awful lot to contribute, different experiences, different knowledge, And the more you involve people, the more I think people feel like they're kind of part of something that you're trying to do together. And it does take a bit of confidence because sometimes you do think, oh, but I'm sort of meant to be in charge here. And so surely I'm meant to know these answers. So you have to almost have the confidence to kind of go, oh, I don't have all the answers. And I want to involve us all in trying to get to why we exist as a team or what we think our priorities are, what do we think our objectives should be. And actually, I would say the um, I work for two founders at the moment. And one of them in particular is really good at saying, oh, I've not done this before either, but I think this is really important for us to think about what does everyone think? And actually it's mm. really that sort of level of vulnerability. I think it doesn't make me think, oh, he doesn't know what he's doing. If anything, I just welcome the opportunity that he is asking me for my opinion. But also I feel like he's being honest. It's not like he says it all the time either. It's not like every day, you know, he's mm. going, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. He, but when it's something big or something that matters to all of us or something that's tricky you know he'll go oh you know I don't necessarily have the right answer or I'm not sure of this this is kind of new territory for me let's figure this out together and I find that really motivating I also think it's useful when you're um, a manager particularly if it's a new situation for whatever reason so it could be your first time or there's something new about it that sometimes it can be helpful to have like a bank of questions that you can rely on so for the involvement Mm. you might say okay in a team meeting I'm always going to ask what's everybody's perspective on this and I'm always going to create 10 minutes for discussion or it might be I'm not sure this is the right thing what do you think or whatever it is but almost have like your go-to questions I've always found that so helpful and um, I normally ask things like what's the main objective here or what are we actually trying to achieve I always ask that when I'm in new roles because most people have lost sight of that a little bit so it helps me and helps them <laughs> and maybe you would take the actually away from that yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so it doesn't sound quite what are we actually so trying what to do what we actually trying to do but, I was yeah. like oh that already sounds a bit aggressive <laughs> <laughs> you said that and you were like leading my team I'd be like oh god she, she's already she's already getting she's a bit already like, thinking why do we need to do, do this <laughs> um yeah however I quite frame it but there's some kind of question around what's the thing that we're trying to achieve 
if you want to take what actually is out of it. And then it might be that I'd say, you know, what's everybody's perspective on this? And you just two or three questions can really help you so that in the moment you don't have to think, oh, what's the right question here? What should I say? I think I should be involving people, but I'm not quite sure. Like if you know you've got like your go-to question, you can rely on that a little bit until it becomes, you know, an unconscious competence for you. Yeah, and I think it's a tricky one to navigate because there are times where I think people will look to you for, well, what do you think? And so you've almost got to call it based on the environment that you're in, the culture that you're in. And so you're just getting this balance right between giving people enough, I think, to go on. And sometimes I find that even if you're just giving something to teams to critique, like that actually works quite well for you. You go, well, here's a starter Mm. for 10. The whole starter for 10 thing. I think that's what I do quite a lot. I think that's probably my tactic is like, Mm. here's a starter for 10. We could end up with something way better than this or really different. But do you know what? Here's my best shot for now. Yeah. Um, And actually, that's also quite a useful tactic. And then number five is know that your job has changed. And this is almost going back to the point that Helen was making around um, that as being part of being a leader or manager, I often feel that people underestimate or undervalue almost some of what that involves and very focused on almost like the job deliverables. And you perhaps have heard the phrase before, but um, it's kind of what's got you here won't get you there. And just remembering as you move into more leadership positions, it's not about just working, doing the same stuff you're doing before and doing like more of it and working harder or longer. I actually think it's about changing how you spend your time. And I think it's a really big problem, actually, for a lot of people leading for the first time is you're often in that um, really tricky situation where you're not a million miles away from being the person doing a lot of the doing, but you've just moved up into these roles where you're probably expected to still do some of the doing and you're expected to do some of the leading and managing and inevitably the doing takes over. And I think then that comes down to things like your ability to prioritise. So going, right, what is most important for me to be spending my time on? In what order? How am I going to create space for doing things like one-to-ones with my team, for us to spend time together as a team? And you almost have to choose to go, I think those things are important because you know, I do hear people going like, oh, I'm too busy. I just don't have the time to do those things. But if you go, I think they're really important. Even if it's 15 minute huddles, stand up huddles, that still signals to your team that you think it's important to bring everyone together. Okay, so number six is a, a topic that we've also covered on the podcast because we think it is really, really important that it should have its own episode. And that is micromanagement. When you become a manager, or even if you're listening and you're already a manager, please, please do not micromanage. Nobody likes it, but if you look at all the data, lots of people do it. So there's something slightly odd going on that no one likes it, but then they become managers and lots of people do it. It often comes from a place of a bit of insecurity, a lack of confidence, because there's some assumptions that where people operate with about there's quite a lot of pressure on. And therefore, if I take control of the situation and I do all the work and I direct people about what they should be doing, I'm more in control of it and then I can guarantee a positive outcome. But actually, you really limit people's ability to do something better than you might do you, you can almost operate with the assumption that no one has better ideas and no one can do a better job it demotivates your team so they won't necessarily support or engage with you um, and it's just very destructive for things so please 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 don't micromanage if you think oh I'm really worried about this or if you recognize it in yourself at all listen to episode 71 of the podcast we talk about it in depth and we know it's helped some people and we're quite honest about times as well when we might have fallen into micromanagement traps as well 
Number seven is to ask for feedback. You can have such a positive impact on your career, but also the people's work for you's career if you start a really positive feedback culture and by that I don't mean you just give each other good feedback what I mean is be the manager who asks for feedback from your team and we always use if you're a regular listener you'll know we always use the what works well even better if framework so you know it could be in a meeting that you ask people for what are a couple of things that you thought worked well today what do you think would be even better if for next time it could be over an email you might say you know I've been a manager now for three months um, for this team I'd love to get your feedback one thing from each of you that's working well for you and one thing you think I could do even better over the next three months however you, you want know, to do this is how I would um, work out if you're micromanaging or not I would connect this to the previous one because I think the way to know whether you're doing this it's always really hard sometimes to see for yourself because you're kind of in the midst of it but if your team start to give you even better if feedback that sounds a bit like you know, I'd like a bit more space to, yeah. to lead projects. You delegated really, to me. Yeah, or I would really appreciate more opportunity to um, lead this thing or just try and figure out from that feedback. Or you can just ask it directly if you feel like you know people well enough um, and just say, I'm really mindful of, I think the risk of micromanagement personally is at its highest when you're probably in your first management role because you're so keen to do a great job, what do you end up doing? being all over people all of the time. <laughs> and it obviously ends up achieving the exact opposite of what you're desperately trying to not to do, which is you then end up with people who are demotivated, who are like, oh, it'll feel like it's really hard work to work for those people. But obviously you don't want to give people so much space that you don't know what's going on either. So it's a really hard balance. But I do think the way that you can uh, not get around it, but the way that you can just work out how well are you doing at any moment in time is just ask for feedback either specifically or in that kind of WWEBI format. So tip number eight is to celebrate the successes of your team and actually not just your team, other teams, your own successes, as well as creating this culture of feedback in your team. Also create a culture where you're celebrating successes and that doesn't have to be at your annual offsite, you give out some awards. We're talking like regularly in team meetings um, or on a weekly basis or in maybe you're sending an email summary every week. Find regular ways to recognise people's successes. And actually came across something that really resonated with me this week on this point by Abby Wambach, who's got a book called Wolfpack. And she talks about um, a way that we should celebrate successes is that we should rush and point. And that breaks down as you should, when somebody else is... Is, has, has achieved something you should rush to recognize them to congratulate them in, in whatever way feels appropriate it could be in the coffee queue it could be in a team meeting but whatever way feels appropriate go rush to support that person and then the point one is when you have achieved something make sure you point to everybody that has helped you to do it and again that could be verbal I don't think it's literally like you 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 with a pointy finger <laughs> I think it's more like point out to the people not just point at them perhaps but I quite like that, you know, if you think on a I, weekly I basis, yeah. who have you rushed you, and who have you pointed? I think it's such a nice way to think about success. And I've already used it once this week. So since you discovered that, I'd not heard it before this week. And I've already used it as an example in a training session where everyone was like, oh, it's amazing. I can see how that's so useful. And I've already done it a few times because it just, it mm -hmm. almost reminds you to say thank you and to celebrate mm. other people and you can just see those little moments of people how much they appreciate it so it's a really easy way I think to have a high impact 
It is. And we kind of, when we did this, we rushed someone called Crystal this week and she replied back. It was we did it on Instagram and she was like, it's really nice to be rushed. And I quite like that idea that like people are rushing towards to like just give each other a pat on the back. I think what a nice team culture you can create. You know, yeah. you don't need to know every single management model and have been a manager for 10 years. If you are creating a culture where there's great feedback going on, really effective, meaningful feedback that can help people develop and improve and you're celebrating success, you are going a long way towards yeah. a team that people want to be in. So you don't need bags of experience for that. You just need to care. And I think that comes on to tip number nine, actually, which is about doing it your way. Yes, there are bags of books that you can read about mm-hmm. management <laughs> techniques. And, and we've read a lot of them because, you know, we're obviously really passionate about this. But you've kind of got to find your way. You've got to find what kind of manager you want to be. And sometimes you can do that by reflecting on the managers that have been meaningful to you. And what was it that was in their style that you liked and want to emulate? Sometimes you can do it by reading. You know, you might read the Harvard Business Review like we do and go, oh, I really like that particular thing. Or you might watch a TED Talk and be like, oh, Brenny Brown's stuff on courage. I really believe in that. I think You've got to get a bit curious, uh, maybe a bit reflective, think about those other managers and just find a way for you to get to your kind of authentic version of management that isn't something you're trying to lift from a book. And that's probably what I tried to do way too much in the very early days, you know, back at Eon. I was definitely reading books and going, I'm going to I'm going to do this. You do have to find your way a little bit. But and that might take a bit of experience and a bit of practice. But back to that previous point, I think genuinely caring about the people that work for you and their careers and how you can help them being consistent as well like in your Mm. approach so I'm going to be consistent I'm going to have one-to-ones with you all on a fortnightly basis for half an hour and no matter what happens I'm going to stick to that like just find your elements of consistency that counts for a lot and I think I'm, I'm making that time for people and being a really good listener if you've got that stuff going on, then I think people are really accepting of the fact that you're work in progress and learning because a lot of people just want that from the manager. Someone who yeah. cares, someone who listens, someone who makes time, someone who's consistent. And then everything else is a bonus and everyone else might do those bonus bits differently. And that's all fine. That's just part of us all kind of being authentic at work. One of the things you could do if you are leading for the first time is maybe write your own book, write your mm-hmm. own leadership lessons. You'd have to write a whole book. But maybe <laughs> just make sure that you're writing down. So what are you learning as you go? And what would your leadership lessons be three months in, six months in? Because I think you'll find that you, you do start to figure out some of this stuff for yourself. And I always feel like people fall into one of two camps. Anti-books, so they read no books because they're like, right, it's all about experience. And almost they're dismissive of anything that's based on like the academic research or anything like that. Or... They're very, very into it, almost too much into the kind of the theory, which obviously we both are. And so probably people listening to this podcast, I would hazard a guess, are more likely to be in the, I'm going to read everything I can get my hands on, really like, <laughs> almost like overlearn. So I think it's probably just making sure that you get that balance between making sure you learn from your experiences, not just from books. And maybe you're a way away from becoming a manager. Maybe it's something that you want to do, but you can't see it in the next one, two, three years. I think you can still capture those leadership lessons now because you mm. can still be thinking, that was an amazing one-to-one or I loved how they you know, introduced themselves to the team. You can still collect them now. So you've got your book work in progress for when you're ready to read it all back to yourself. 
And our last tip, tip number 10 or 11, depending on if you think my first one was a bit of a cheat that I I managed (laughs) to get in there, um, is about a peer support network. So it is so valuable as a manager to have another person or a group of other managers that you can talk to and learn from. And ideally, they, you know, maybe a similar role, similar level. So you can have lots of different mentors, but it's really useful to have that peer that's sort of coming from the same place. I think repeatedly, Sarah and I have done this for each other in our career. And Sarah will say to me, oh, I, I did this exercise when I started in this new company, or this is how I've been asking for feedback. And I'll be like, that's amazing. I'm totally going to do that. And likewise, I might say, oh, I've done this exercise in a team meeting and, and we sort of borrow from each other and learn from each other and maybe one of us has got different perspectives on the other's challenge so if you can find some kind of peer support it's it'll be really really helpful for you when you're trying to be there for your team it can be quite helpful to have someone who can be there for you as well so uh, the 10 top tips just in summary for you one why should anyone be led by you two there's no such thing as perfect three start with the why four involve people don't tell people five know that what got you here won't get you there six please please don't micromanage seven ask for feedback eight celebrate success nine do it your way ten find some peers that you can make friends with So hopefully that was really useful. As ever, all the resources uh, will be there. This podcast was a request from somebody who we know is starting a new job quite soon. So good luck to them. And we hope it's been really helpful. (laughs) And if you do have time and you listen to the podcast and you think, oh yeah, I keep meaning to rate it, but I've not had a chance yet. Those ratings really matter to us because it helps us with all our algorithms and Apple to share it. And it's really useful. And actually, even those reviews, um, which tend to be a bit shorter, are still really powerful and really helpful for us. So if that's something you've got a little bit time to do, uh, we'd really appreciate it. And thank you to everybody who's already done it. And please do follow us Can I just do a bit of a shout out to Jen Pod, who is our most recent one, whose closing sentences, I would love to work for these two ladies. They're such enlightened managers. How can you not want to go along for the ride? I was like, oh, Jen, (laughs) come work for us. Come now. (laughs) I did see that, actually, and I thought, oh, that's quite good. Given we're talking about leadership, that's good. It makes us us sound like we should, at least in theory, we should know what we're doing. (laughs) Uh, We should probably get some people who've worked for us to, like, tell us as it is how do we stack up versus those 10 things um they can do that publicly on instagram if you'd like (laughs) shame us or Um, claim us i don't know if you are trying to find us on instagram we're just that amazing if and helen as you mentioned does her daily career tips so it's worth following us just for those because that's where i steal all my ideas from (laughs) and next week we're going to be talking about negotiation which we both could have sworn that we would have talked about before because it's (laughs) such a big topic within work and careers and most of us have to negotiate in some way shape or form we have done negotiating a pay rise before which was very kind of specifically just on that topic but we're going to do broader negotiation because i think that comes up for all of us and very linked to kind of influencing and persuading so we thought it was worth doing a deep dive into that so we'll be back next week negotiating with each other potentially Uh, but in the (laughs) meantime have a really good week thank you so much for listening and we'll speak to you again soon bye for now bye everyone the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 